Hello, and welcome to Series 5 of the Sync Lodge podcast series Exploring Music. For this episode, which is titled The Independent Artist Checklist, we are very fortunate to have with us Sophie Small and Rachel Scarsbrook. Sophie Small cut her teeth in the live sector as an intern and artist liaison at Festival Republic before moving to the tech platform Music Gateway in 2014. She joined the company as an intern, was promoted through the ranks to marketing manager in 2015, head of operations in 2016. At 23, Sophie led her first major UK-wide campaign from inception to fulfillment, managing Music Gateway's lead team in partnership with Gibson Brands and Argos and Metropolis. Today, as CEO and head of music, Sophie manages targets and KPIs across each department. She is passionate about leveling the playing field and empowering independents who need help creating, managing, and monetizing their music. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you. Rachel Scarlsbrook works as the music promotions manager at Music Gateway. Rachel is charged with devising and delivering campaigns to help artists gain exposure across radio, DSPs, TV, press, and online in order to build their brands and network of fans. She started out in music journalism at the age 16 and went on to study journalism at university. Rachel hosted and produced student radio and was the music editor of the student paper in print and online. She's gone on to be published in The 405, The Guardian, Gold Flake Paint, Sounds Magazine, High Clouds, and Renowned for Sound. Rachel also writes festival reviews for Festival Republic and can be found working at the merch desk of Muna shows throughout the UK. She joined Music Gateway early last year after she sold the CMO or coffee in the cafe where she was working. Welcome, Rachel. Hey. Good morning. Welcome to Exploring Music, and today we are going to explore the Independent Artist Checklist. And then we have a further title of Navigating the Music Industry and the Tips and Tools for Success. So, with the work that you guys are doing at Music Gateway, you are advising a lot of people, you are helping a lot of artists, and you have a checklist of things that you think artists should actually adhere to, should look after, look at, depending on the type of success they want. Yeah, I think... Yeah. That's really important, like creatively and also just generally outside of that kind of, you know, admin style stuff, like mm. what are you doing to help yourself mm. within your career? Yeah, because I think you kind of need to set benchmarks and have processes, whether it's you're starting out as an artist from scratch or you're moving into a different area, you need to know what your aim is and the assets and information around that to get to that success. It's all sort of about the journey that you're going to go on because it's not you know you're going to send one email and get signed or get a sync straight away or anything like that you kind of have to have a whole web of things around you to go down that one avenue Mm -hmm. I think that's really hard as well because obviously like when you're talking about processes that's pretty dull and like no one really gets into the music industry because mm-hmm. they love admin or they love processes like it's always you know like the creative side of I'm it. not admin <laughs> you, you don't create the music no um but I think it's still really important that those things are considered but also yeah the knowledge of knowing which which processes to actually look at or which focuses are key to your success or whatever your goal is is really important because I guess that like, everyone's success is different and it's dependent on what that means to them first and foremost saying it just before some people might define success as having a sustainable career in music so you know not having to have that part-time job and actually being able to do it full-time in whatever capacity that means but 
you know, other people might want to be chart thing, performer, artist. Having a sustainable career in music, though, is quite difficult. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes that could just be the first goal, even if it's not the end goal. Because mm-hmm. actually, I think sometimes people look maybe a little bit too forward. Because yeah, just doing that alone is really difficult. Yeah, I think that's quite a success in itself. <laughs> you can actually just live off creating music. That's yeah, and that's definitely how we define success. I mean, obviously, we understand that. Uh, it's different for different people but our first and foremost goal is always well how can we try and help you be as sustainable as possible rather than you know how are we going to necessarily break you because those things will come with the team that they've got around them and the labels and things like that yeah if you've got those processes in place and you kind of not stick to them but they're sort of a checklist as it were at some point the checklist in essence might stay the same but the goals might get slightly bigger and the brackets will expand and that break point could then come mm-hmm. it's just all about getting the process aligned so that you've got all the tools no hits made overnight it might seem like that right. for some commercial artists but the amount of work that goes in both from the artists and the team behind that has probably taken months years to put in place mm-hmm. and just because you know the public are hearing about someone for the first time doesn't mean they've made a song one week and released it the next and it's got a million streams right right which is the you do hear about things like that but as you said there's, there's usually a couple of years behind mm-hmm. the scenes of preparing for that yeah yeah one of my first career jobs was doing a tour for dj fresh and at the time rita oral was the support act and if you think about what she's doing now with her music in terms of the capacity that she's doing gig wise and and the following that she has you know these were just I say just, there's still an accolade, but like O2 Academy Rooms. And the work that was going on behind the scenes with her was just unbelievable. She was not, never stopping, you know, always fans coming in. You know, we were doing uh, long days, really long days, and we were doing a lot of work. I mean, we were getting there for 10 and not leaving until after the gigs. It was over 12 hour days where she was constantly having people coming in to do, you know, the next promo thing or another fan meeting for this or having to go off to do this or whatever and you, you sometimes you don't see that stuff you just see it sort of so social it's, media so the music being fairly successful in the music industry isn't just like lazing around and being creative and I think everyone does get that but I don't know if they know to the extent of what that means it's it's almost a never switch off i think when yeah when even if you're you know in the studio making things or you're you've gone away from the limelight as it were there's still so much that has to happen behind the scenes if you think you know social media strategy just because you haven't got a song out doesn't mean you can stop posting because the second you stop people are going to find something else that's one of the messages that we try and instill in some of the artists that we work with and that i've worked with in the past is you know there's always stuff to post about and share so that you have to stay relevant and you need to keep up that relentless energy no matter how tired you get there's always going to be the next big thing there's no real barriers to you know music discovery anymore no, there's no standing still you're either moving really no. forward or falling behind really. exactly and you can't afford to stay static really either you've got to always be on the go mm. and making the most of every opportunity that kind of comes going out finding those opportunities and having that kind of team around you that are going to also help you find and get access to those opportunities too right right so with a checklist do, do you actually have a list of 
Is there a, a real checklist or is it, is it <laughs> um, just... It's not a checklist. I mean, every everyone's different. I mean, even starting off with everyone's success being different and then you've got everyone's talents being different, which means that, you know, someone who's reaching out to one type of audience, what they need to do to, to achieve that is so different to the next you know, different demographic and whatever their talent is might mean that they have to go round things slightly differently. So I don't think there's a standard checklist, but there's definitely things that everyone should consider and consider whether that's relevant to them. And I think the main thing is is asking yourself questions that are going to give you a good focus because it's really easy to spread yourself too thinly because there's so much going on and so many, like, you know, not missing out on an opportunity. What does that mean? Does that mean that you go for absolutely every single opportunity? Because uh, I don't know if that would completely work either. It has to make sense to your brand or, or your image. Yeah, and I guess evaluating the kind of pros and cons of the opportunities as well. You know, does X, Y, Z align with the brand that I'm looking to promote? Do I have a clear message? How am I going to get that message mm. out? But even before then, you have to actually think about what the brand is that you're promoting. Yeah. So I think... The first thing for me would always be, and we, we go through this with our artists, what is your brand? And asking yeah. yourself questions it's that like really outline that. Mm -hmm. You know, sum yourself up in a tweet, target audiences, all these kinds of things. Which is a, a lot more difficult than it sounds. It is, because if you think about the amount of people that there are and, you know, demographics, it's really difficult to pigeonhole that into the most condensed form. But having that identified, is going to help you right from the start mm -hmm. focus your efforts into reaching those people yeah and i think even being quite harsh on yourself and being a bit of a critic you know what is your talent is it is it songwriting or is it performing is it both it might be it might not be that's okay but if it's not songwriting it is performing what does that mean in terms of your next steps? Does that mean that you go and find songwriters who would really help your work? Or if it's not performing, then does that mean that you look at supporting other people who would be great performers and you focus on the songwriting bit or you go and hone your skills in performance by investing some time in learning that trade? And yeah, there's a, I think even before you kind of get started, although I, get, I think most people will always start in this industry because they're creating something. And so, but whilst that something might already exist, yeah. I think it's still really important that you almost take a step back and you go, okay, if I'm going to do this, what is this? You know, like what is it that I'm doing, and what, and how am I going to move forward? Yeah, that's a very good point to have an idea of what you actually. When I was young, we didn't use the word brand. No, what was your <laughs> brand? But the the point was, what do you stand for? Yeah. You know, what are you saying? How should people evaluate who you are as yeah. an artist? And yeah. it's a, I think a good way of looking at it is to think of trying, you know, yes, it could be you as a person or you and a few other people together, but it needs to sort of be looked at, take a step back and look at what you're doing from as a business. So, you know, take a, an artist that is quite well known or, you know, up and coming. It's different to those people personally. It might have the same values at the core, but it's a brand. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you have to think of what you're doing as a business. So whether that be if there's four of you in a band assigning roles within that, you know, 
who's going to take the admin, who's going to do X, Y, and Z, you know, what's the tone of things going to be? It's setting that out right from the start. Being clear about Being it. Being clear, mm-hmm. even maybe writing your own agreements and things like that so that the onus is kind of on each person to fulfill a role or, you know, know what their role is within that brand and what they bring to that. Mm-hmm. I think the business side of it is really important because it's almost mm-hmm. acknowledging that you're taking it seriously and that you yeah. value yourself because... When you start off, it's obviously because it's something that you love doing. But that's that is true of any job, if someone or any career, I guess. If someone really loves what they're doing, then they continue that and they make a success of it. And that's essentially what you're doing with your music. But you are becoming a business. You know, you're you're trying to create income. You're trying to sell a product. Obviously, that takes away a little bit of the excitement out of it. But that is brass tacks what you're doing. So I think you need to start looking at yourself like that kind of at the point that you go okay I, I would like to take this more seriously now or I want to see what I've got that's when you need to start thinking about yourself as a business and really thinking about you know what is it that you're trying to sell I guess and and how are you going to support that you know even down to the financial aspects of it so okay you're a really great performer but you've acknowledged that your songwriting isn't necessarily the best or you definitely need to work with the producer how are you funding that? Are you going and you know working a part-time job? Have you got people that can support you? Have you got an investor maybe who, who's happy to support you? Um, even that sort of stuff, which is not things that people want to think about when they start doing something they're yeah, passionate it's not about. Romantic, it's romantic. But it kind of like the thing is, is those pain points that you think about, they then make enable you to do the bit that you do really love doing. You know, mm-hmm. so. It's still worth thinking about. I mean, we when we're working with people, all of their financial situations are completely different. You know, some of them are supported by parents, maybe, or other family members. Some of them are working. So, you know, they're doing all of the extra hours outside of their working life. Or some of them do have investors who are really passionate about their music and so happy to support. Some of them have investors who are expecting that money back at some point. So, obviously, whilst they the pressure is off in the sense that they don't have to work and... They can really focus on their career at this moment in time. The pressure's on because actually at some point they need to make a return on that. Yeah, they have to deliver the goods. But, yes. but having that investment does mean that they can really focus on it and really put their heart into it rather than being distracted. So there's kind of pros and cons to it, but it is the same as a business, basically. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's a big business. It's a, And it's a very, very competitive business. Yeah. And I think, like, it's it's harder than ever because everything's more accessible. But it's easier than ever because everything's more accessible. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of a weird balance because it's not a case of you go to a record store and there's only what's in the shop that you can buy. And it's a bit restricted as to who can actually get in the shop in the first place. Now, because of you know streaming platforms and everything, anybody can set themselves up as an artist. It's how you get above that and make sure you're the one, you know, even getting noticed or you know doing the right things. Because some people that you know we come across, they think that they're doing all the right things, and actually, from an industry perspective, when we we're the ones that have taken the step back and say, well, actually, you've missed these sorts of key areas just from setting yourself up. Mm when you get to that further down the line process where you're thinking about actually releasing music, it makes that a bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, what do you think, if you go back to people thinking of themselves as a brand, Mm -hmm. 
and obviously one of the things that you do quite often is sorting people's you know just Spotify profiles out as a basic yeah. before you even start pushing the music out what are kind of the key errors or mistakes that you find people are making quite early on that mean yeah. that you then have to go back and sort of make those edits I don't know if there's like a singular rule but obviously um, I'm not kind of in that world I find I come across a lot of artists who don't have a bio written on Spotify and straight At away all. no bio no social links on their Spotify page and it's you know it seems maybe when you're creating the music like oh we don't need a bio like if people want to find us they will mm-hmm. but if you have a bio you're instantly a bit more discoverable you know it looks like you're taking it more seriously so when I go to look at an artist who maybe does have a bio does have social links and the profile is kind of set up like a brand like mm-hmm. you know they're taking they are taking this as seriously as they want me to take it instantly to me I'm thinking I would go for that person rather than the person without bio without links mm. and social links as well I mean like everyone everyone's using socials to keep up to date yeah, with what's exactly. going on so if you're getting your music discovered and then you're not encouraging them to buy into your entire brand by following you somewhere yeah. else that's really like quite crazy my entire I'd say most of my Instagram feed is taken up with musicians that I've found and I've gone in their profile and I'm like, okay, now I'm going to follow them on Spotify. Maybe I'll like them on Facebook. I'll follow them on Twitter because I want to buy into that relationship and feel like I'm also valued as a fan back. Mm-hmm. So you've got to value yourself as a brand, as an artist, but you need to give your listeners and new people that are going to discover you that access because I could listen to a song and I could fall in love with it and I could listen to it again and again and again but I'm probably more likely to go with a band or an artist that's got that kind of social side to Mm, it as well because I then feel like I'm more involved in the process for them I've got that access you know I can like a photo I can comment on something you know it's that kind of instant gratification Mm. you'd rather fall in love with an artist than a song yeah exactly yeah and you can't expect people not to be lazy about it that you think, well, they can find me on Facebook and yeah, they just search 100%. me. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. A lot of people won't even do that. Yeah. They just, there's not the link there. And, and it's a think- weird kind of... Go on. Oh, sorry. There's a weird kind of level of some artists who, you know, their songs are streamed millions and millions of times. But when you actually sit and think about it, you think, there's no brand behind this. There's no personal personality. Yeah, they might have an Instagram or whatever. But some people don't engage with that platform that they have Mm -hmm. and there's some artists you will listen to them on the radio all the time you wouldn't know anything about them as a person so I'm not going to actively you know I'm not going to go and buy a ticket to that show I'm not going to buy an album in a shop or anything or stream an album because there's no there's no connection there's no human to human fan to artist connection yeah exactly I think that's something that kind of highlights as well when you're looking at your brand as at the at the beginning or whatever point it is that you're reviewing it I think the authenticity now because of all of that accessibility is really important too when you're looking at your brand and going oh I want to be this kind of person it's really important that you actually are this kind of person or if you want to put out this message it's really important that that is a message you are genuinely passionate about because while she might write you know a couple of songs that kind of align with that brand like you said people want to fall in love with that artist and so that artist has to align with the message that the music is also making and if you're not Mm -hmm. kind of consistent across those areas it's quite easy to see through that Mm. you know you can if somebody's saying one thing in a song but they're posting something completely different i'm like well 
yeah, there's the confusion. no yeah exactly i'm confused so i'm not gonna bite into this and i'm no i'm just gonna leave it mm. I'll, I'll skip it rather than yeah you know stay and we, i mean a good example is that we work with an artist called maxo who's over in australia and he writes great music he's a great artist but his his he's a little bit crazy and he was being quite <laughs> reserved on his instagram feeds and it wasn't until our artist development team really got to know him that they were like you know you don't you're not you as a person is not how you're coming across on instagram or all socials really and he kind of mentioned you know that that was because he wanted to he wasn't sure whether he was you know allowed to do that as an artist or whether it put people off and you want people to really buy into you like if this is you let's go for it and actually i think even in the last six months he hasn't released them yet but he's even changed slightly his music himself to kind of align with his own personality because he was kind of writing almost outside of his own personality and you hear it in the music i mean the, he was writing good music anyway but the music's so much better he's great you feel like you know him just from the way that he's acting on socials rather than being like come to my gig you know everything just being quite inhuman i guess yeah yeah and it does have a massive impact on on how people mm. are then perceiving you and i guess in turn interacting with you or investing in you or whatever mm. so yeah that's an interesting really point of, of really aligning it to your own self i think a lot of times especially for young artists it might be difficult to really have a clear view on who you actually are mm. Absolutely. But I think that's cool too. Like, I, you know, everyone likes to see a journey. So if your journey is that you are discovering yourself at the same time as, you know, writing this music and gaining a following, that's something people can buy into too. You know, like it doesn't necessarily need to be a message as in political or whatever it can be that, you know, discovery could be the message and like, you know, follow me on my journey whilst I discover who I am. That's fine. Like that's a that's a great yeah, message. You know, that's a really relatable process. That <laughs> yeah. People need to talk about more. Actually, you know, hardly anybody knows who they are. You know, off the bat. Mm-hmm. And I think that journey, actually, you can take people on that journey with you. I mean, you look at people like Justin Bieber. I mean, and you know, Miley Cyrus, and people who have come into the industry as really young people, and we have genuinely watched those people change and. Yeah. grow and sometimes for better sometimes for worse and actually that's a process that people get invested in and they want to know what like the next step mm-hmm. is you um, see their mistakes we see the things that they're embarrassed about but it yeah. makes them even more human yeah right? exactly like mistakes aren't always a bad thing you know the things that you can learn from maybe take a new direction from and other people can relate to that yeah, exactly. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. Everybody has an evening where they go, oh, jeez, really? Mm. I remember one of the sort of best gigs that I ever went to was, um, or performances, I should say, was at Reading Festival. You might have been at the same one, actually, but Paramore, oh, Hayley Williams, the, the mics, the yeah, the, all the sound yeah, cut out. I was there. And so in the end, she just sat at the front of the stage and just sang. With well, nothing. The sound, what the power went off. Power went off on the yeah, stage. They did it that was completely yeah. acapella. She could hear the guitar like in her ears, but none of the crowd could hear any music. So it was just completely acapella. But then you've suddenly got however many thousands of people, tens of thousands of people singing along with you, and that, you know, even just being in a crowd with your friends, like things like that, they feel like a moment. Yeah. You could look back as an artist and be like, oh, that was awful. Can't believe that happened to us. Yeah. 
But you know, if it's happening at that level, well, she could have just walked off and been like, "This is unbelievable." Yeah, Why is, I think like how can I be at a festival like this and the sound cuts I out? And just what she did instead was she went, "Cool, everyone, sing along with me." You know, doing that anywhere, whether that's on socials or in your mm-hmm. music or gigging or whatever that that sort of authenticity or making a moment from error or whatever is quite powerful and I think it's kind of as well how you deal you know if you make a mistake how you deal with that you know you can choose to let it stop you completely in your tracks or you can can, do a Hayley Williams and push forwards like the amount of gigs that I've gone to where sound is cut out I think I went to see Grimes at Heaven it was the key moment in her best song at the time all the confetti cannons had gone off and everything and the sound just stopped completely dead and they couldn't get it back so that was the gig done that's frustrating you know she came out afterwards there was a couple of hundred people there but she was apologising to people that she couldn't finish the gig and that you know I'm still talking about it now yeah there's an old saying uh, no I'm going to get this wrong I'm sure but to every adversity there's the key to greater benefit Mm. And in any situation, there is always something you can leverage. There's something you can do to make it actually better than if that thing didn't happen. Yeah, 100%. But on the flip side, when something great happens, how do you make it even greater? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes people have some success and they kind of dwell on that success for a little bit too Mm -hmm. long when they actually should have acted on it to make it better. I know that we have had artists when you've been dealing with their releases and they've had really great responses and had a lot of sort of like Spotify playlists and all that sort of stuff support and the streams have gone through the roof and we're going when's your next release because we need to keep the hype and they're going oh no we're going to do it next year and we're sat there almost like no like come on because that's the sort yeah. of stuff where it's like you've it's not them. just a success it's mm-hmm. about building on it and actually keeping that hype yeah which is just as important as making the most out of when things go wrong yeah how do you make the most that relentless energy thing yeah at the start and you know staying in people's minds if you've got that spark moment where something takes off that's not a time to go well we've done that now so you can sit back and relax a bit yeah and you know take some time out maybe go on holiday and then come back in a couple of months, I'll just go silent because everyone just needs to stick with this for a bit longer. And it's like, no, no, you've got them. Don't let go. Yeah, especially nowadays. Until you have a bit of a legacy, I feel like you can't stop. Mm. Otherwise, people will forget about you. Mm. Remember that old saying, there was always, you know, that difficult second album, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I think that's part of what started this culture of you have to be switched on all the time and doing stuff because... You know, difficult second albums would always come because people had gone away for a longer time in the public eye to make a record because the first thing they would have heard is the debut and it's just kind of dropped on their lap. They've not seen the cycle of the creative process behind it and know how long it takes to make a record or a single or whatever. So I think that's why a lot of people struggled with those second albums, whereas now it's single-based and, you know, a lot of the campaigns that we do are sort of four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks Mm -hmm. for artists and that's kind of... There's a turnaround in the next release? Yeah, that's kind of, you know, if people are coming to us and saying, I've got three songs and I want to release them all this year, that's kind of a really effective way to look at it because you're keeping that momentum up. People aren't going to forget about you because it's like, and here's another thing, but they've got enough time to digest it. Mm -hmm. You could build that up with, you know, promotional activity, you know, radio play or Spotify or whatever. But then you're there again. It's kind of like knocking on somebody's door and be like, hello, I'm here, I'm still here. Yeah. 
I'm still here again. Like. We, and if artists look at you know, some of the iconic bands from, if you look at the 60s, mm. and the Beatles were putting out two or three albums a year. Right, there's a lot of times they put out two big albums in the same year. The Rolling Stones were doing it, Bob Dylan was doing it, all these bands that became iconic. It's amazing the output and how frequent they would do it. And they were yeah. on you know, three songs in the top ten. Mm. They but still were back in the studio the next day writing and recording yeah. more. Right? Yeah, but that, I mean that was frequent back then. But people's interest span is even like quicker than what it was actually someone was talking about a couple of months ago at a conference I went to interest span versus attention span Mm. Uh, because a lot of people say that your attention span or people's attention spans are getting shorter Um, what this I can't remember who was he was talking about it but what he was saying was that actually attention spans have never been bigger because you know you have kids now who once they're on a YouTube channel they can be on that for hours and hours and hours, or you think about Netflix and they'll put a TV show out and people will have watched it in one evening, the whole show. So actually attention-wise, if you can get people's attention, it's never been greater, but it's the interest band that shortens, so you have to capture them almost in that first couple of seconds, otherwise they move on to the next thing. Or quickly. But yeah, so I think like the two it's album thing is like, yeah, I, I thought it was super interesting because it's so true. Like, you, and you do hear a lot of people talking about attention spans and how we don't have quite as much attention as we used to. But actually, it is not true because we can invest, you know, deep diving into, you know, SoundCloud or Spotify or whatever. You can spend hours doing that. But it's actually getting someone to want to do it, you know, want to watch your channel, want to listen to your music, that's the hard bit. Yeah, listen to the next thing and continue on, yeah. Yeah, and I think two albums was frequent back then, but now people are expecting, you know, a few singles in a year. If you're, you know, if you have, if you don't have the control of, you know, being able to sit back a little bit and really focus on, on the next single. Yeah, I think a really good example from the last sort of year, two years, Probably the Japanese house. She took ages to release her first album, but she probably had maybe 10 plus singles released sort of every two months. She'd mm-hmm. put out another single and then another single. And this is before the album? This was all before the album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was playing live a lot, going on tour all the time. I can't remember how many times I've seen it, but it's a lot. And, you know, playing anywhere and everywhere putting these singles out so that that, you know, talking point of, oh, have you heard the new Japanese house single? Da-da-da-da-da. Oh, here's another review. Here's another sort of pre-release that you could listen to, things like that. It stayed in people's minds. And I think her album has went on to kind of be, you know, labelled as one of the best of 2019 or something and one of the best debut albums that people have heard recently. And I look at that release strategy and especially... You know, it's harder, I guess, as a new artist if you don't have a wealth of songs behind you that you've already written and then you're like, okay, brand releasing, let's turn this up a notch. But, you know, that kind of frequency, it works. Mm -hmm. Clearly it works. And that's a really good way to build an audience and build a following. Was was her album the collection of singles? It was some, and then it was new material as well. So I think there's also that balance of you don't want to give... If you're looking at releasing an album or an EP, you don't want to give everything away beforehand. Mm. You know, maybe you want one or two singles before a four-track well, EP. Well, then there's no hype. Exactly. You need something kind of exclusive to get people to buy that or to stream that because and they might have heard it before. The perk of the album was that she then was able to sell merch about the album in terms of like vinyl and things yeah, like that. Exactly. So she actually 
got to add some revenue streams onto singles that she'd already made. That's really clever. And even after the album came out, I think it came out sort of just after the summer last year, I'm not entirely sure, but just before Christmas, she put another single out that wasn't on the album at all. So she's already thinking forward to this year and what she's doing. What would you advise? I would think it would be obvious that if you only have two or three songs, maybe you should hold back a bit. Would this be good advice and write more and get more of a collection of songs? Um, One thing that I'm a huge, huge advocate of is collaborating. So I don't know about numbers of songs, but if you really want to give it a go, go and find different people and work with different people and really hone in what your sound means. I think... Obviously, people have their own sound as part of their brand, but actually what you can learn from working with other people and and elements that they might bring into your sound is really important too. Obviously, you can kind of hear that in those journeys that we were talking about with, with people who have come into the industry really young and made it really big and how they've kind of adapted their sound as they've grown too. But I think one of the big things for me when people first start out is... They either aren't collaborating at all, unless they really need to, you know, they don't produce and so they really needed to work with a producer on the single. Or they're collaborating with maybe friends that they know who maybe aren't quite right for their project. So, I mean, I'm a big advocate for collaborating with friends that makes projects way more fun. But if you're creating rock music and your friend is a a producer that specialises in folk, okay, I know production, you know, they can do everything. But people do, if people are really good, then they will have like you know genres that they specialize in is that the best producer for your single probably not or even just in terms of people will write songs and they'll be great they'll be fine but i think i read i'll probably have to check this one but in music week this is going back a couple of years ago now but um i'm sure the statistics are still the same the average writer uh, the average number of writers on a track in the top 40 was nine and a half. That's which, 9.1. Yeah. That was, that was a recent one. Yeah. Which is just crazy. Exactly. And okay, I know that you've got, yeah, yeah, that's an average. So that means that there's, you know, songs with way more writers mm-hmm. and producers on it. Than now, some of that, though, would be because of samples. Yes. Right? They take a sample and they give the, the people that created it yeah. credit. But it's still a form of bringing in other people's creativity. So whilst it's not direct collaboration it's still using someone else's creativity to help your creativity. And I think that's my big thing is that, okay, yes, you can do a great job on your own, but actually what you can do with multiple people will be far more powerful. And I think, again, going back to being, you know, talking about business, that's kind of more my side of things. That's true in anything that you do. You know, if you part of a business with a team of people, what you can achieve is is greater than one, or usually that's the case, yeah, depends yeah. on the team obviously. There's also um, having other people's perspectives on it, having yeah. their, you know, their, their and input. And other people's contacts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the other thing when, you know, if you collaborate with other people, they then have a vested interest in your track, and so when you do that release, they will also want that track to do well, and so they will tap into, you know, their contacts or even just sharing on their socials or whatever, and whilst that might not always be huge it's still an impact so those things are always worth a good way to kind of cross-pollinate audiences as well so if you go on spotify there's you know fans also like if you collaborate with people and you collaborate with more people there's naturally going to be you know i might go on one spotify profile see that they've collabed with somebody and then go on that person's mm-hmm. profile and click onto that there was a song that oh, i think it was anoni has done it recently with someone and i listened to the song just on a playlist and I already knew Anoni, but now I've gone and I've found this new artist. And then I've kind of done that, you know, 
Spotify spiral or I'm you know on the radio and I'm listening to all kinds of things eventually that works as a discovery tool as well for yourself and again that goes back into having your Spotify set up mm. properly and fully and that's something that we kind of look at with the artists that we work with making sure that any kind of collaborations are mentioned because if you're going to radio or you know you're reaching out to somebody with a collaborative track it's you know it's a bit more interesting you know these people met here and now they've made music together or you know something like that it's a good way to get a bit more story behind a song as well that people can buy into and it also lets people see that you're actually quite active yeah if they like an artist and then you've collaborated with them and they start finding you or the other way around they like you and they see you collaborating with other people and they see those people are cool yeah i think so and one thing that we've always done at music gateway is we've had a project management system that allows people to collaborate and connect with people all over the world and that's been the for me the most rewarding and powerful aspect of anything that we do i mean wasn't that the initial that was the initial idea, concept yeah. and it still works to this day but we now obviously do a lot more and whilst it's amazing to be able to develop and help uh, musicians and artists in different ways for me that collaboration story when it works is really really powerful i think people are sometimes a bit scared of it because it is a little bit like dating yeah you know like you can't yeah. always have a good date you won't always have a good collaboration like sometimes you know two people just won't you know their creative energy just won't flow and so they they're not happy with what comes out of it but is that a bad experience? I don't think, I think so. It's I just a learning so experience. It's learning. It's yeah. A, and sometimes you have it where you just, your creative juices aren't flowing. Yeah. And, and you feel maybe a little intimidated because the other person is really on it. Yeah. And I think that those elements of the industry are the things that are really difficult now, actually. Like, the, I guess, fear of rejection is a huge thing that makes people hesitant, you know. It's one of the biggest fears. It's yeah, that's one of a the big thing that we yeah. can sometimes come across in trying to encourage artists even to promote their own music on, you know, social media or just, you know, what they're doing day to day. Because there's things like like buttons and things and people might think if I don't get any likes it's the end of the world you know I'm just yelling into the void here but yeah. or people just think I'm stupid and they <laughs> <laughs> well eventually so, you know not everyone's you know Instagram posts and tweets and stories get reactions and mentions and everything but you just have to keep doing it as if you are because eventually people are going to be like am I like I must be missing something here mm. I'm going to spend a bit more time with this person and then eventually people do start to buy into that and the interactions will come you know, you can't just start a Twitter or an Instagram or a Spotify and have a thousand followers, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds of likes or whatever. You've got to build that up from nothing, especially if you're, you know, a brand new artist. You've just got to take the time. And again, it's another investment in that brand of what am I doing to promote my songs on socials? Because you could have, a, you know, we do a lot of PR campaigns for people and no matter how much radio and streaming promotion that we do for them or press or tv they also have to be clued into that and be engaging with their releases and promoting it it's a platform it's like having your own tv advert mm -hmm. for you as a person you as a brand and your music you have to keep going and it is hard you know it's easy to get disenfranchised with it but it's something that will come easier as you find your voice and you develop that voice mm -hmm. but in the in the beginning you know even if you're just posting what you ate for lunch it's something that's you know might be interesting to one person and then they might tell a friend mm -hmm. it's all about building that kind of 
audience because the audience isn't going to be there straight away. You have yeah. to build that. If you build it, they will come. Mm. And one thing that <laughs> they will come. And one thing that we always talk about in, in the development side that I've I've heard Mark sort of say a lot to artists is that the reaction is the biggest thing not what the reaction is so you know no reaction is worse than having a reaction whether that's negative or positive not everyone's gonna like you but actually if the people that hate you are talking about you then that's fine too but that's still a hard thing to deal with a hundred percent and i think that also some people don't necessarily want to invest time and money in certain things because of that rejection you know i think people i think more people often than not know that they should be thinking about their brand and their message but they're almost like I'll do that later and I'll just write this music that's just coming like you know that's because this is a good time for me to do that but I think it's more like they don't want to commit to a brand in case it's the wrong brand or you know they don't want to go and try and get investment so they've got the time because they're worried that investors will turn around and say that they don't want to invest in them and you know, it's really easy now to actually put stuff out there without any form of rejection. You know, you, you can self-produce and master and put it onto Spotify and Deezer and stuff through distribution services without any filter of feedback. And then you can be like, cool, I released the track. But you can't expect anything from it if you're not going to do the rest of the processes yeah. as well. Yeah. Like when we get, when I get sent music and people say, you know, I've written this track, I'm going to put this out on this date. And I listen to it and I think, hmm, <laughs> I think it needs work. There's a nice way of telling people, you know, this is a great, maybe, you know, a good summer radio or ready something, or, but yeah. it's not where people on the industry would expect it to be or fans would expect it to be, you know, potential fans. <laughs> but sometimes I find that I'll be the first person that's ever told them that their music isn't yeah. the right fit at that moment for the channels that they're hoping to promote it for. Mm. And, you know, some people take that on board and, I, you know, I suggest that they go back into maybe our platform and look for some collaborators to help them progress and build that sustainability because, you know, it's only going to help them in the long run. I'm not doing it to be nasty and say, no, yeah. we're not going to send your song to the radio. It's Sometimes, though, people are in a bit of a bubble where it's their yeah. parents and their yeah. friends the are just supportive. Oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah. I love that song. And it's not necessarily realistic. No, and we have exactly the same in licensing. You know, it has to be of a certain quality for it to be able to be broadcast we will let people know if we don't think that that quality is of a decent enough standard. Sometimes the replies that you get back are not the best, but we, I'm not going to sit there and tell them I'm going to represent a track that I'm not happy sending to the clients because that's not helping them. And it's and just it's No, we, all we have is an extra track that we have to filter through when we're looking through the catalogue that we know that we're never going to pitch. And they are sitting there thinking that they're being represented when they're not. So there's no... Yeah, there are stories in the other field of, of tech startups where, I don't want to say the company because I'll probably get it wrong, they went around and they had over 300 turndowns before they got their investment. And the guy said for each one, he evaluated what it was that made them turn it down and tweak his presentation, yeah. tweak his presentation, put it together and put it together. And yeah. Realized that the, the, he said it was the most positive thing for his presentation, his business, to get these turndowns. Mm, 100%. I think feedback is really important. Mm. Yeah, and actually I do enjoy giving 
that feedback because at the end of the day it is going to help somebody yeah you know you're adding value to that yeah. whether they choose to take it or not is, yeah. is different but yeah. I mean we have you know it exactly the same anyone in industry has it exactly the same it's not just the artists and the musicians you know if I'm working with a client and I've sent them music for a brief I'll get feedback if what I've done is not on brief you know and I'm like oh that's I've you know I've wasted their time and I've annoyed myself but that's good because I won't do that next time you know yeah. like that's not a problem yeah and it's easy it's a sort of quite attractive thing just to blame the person that's giving you the advice say well they yeah. don't know what they're talking about they don't really understand me Right. But the reality is, is it doesn't even matter if I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm I'm still the one that not not you know I'm still the one that they want to get past in order for them to be represented. So whilst I like to think that I know what I'm talking about, and anyone would, you know, any client, anybody in the industry would, A and R, whatever, there's there's still the person that with that opinion that's going to help you get to where they are. You know, if an A and R is looking for a song for an artist, and you send them what you think is the perfect song, and they say that it's not. It doesn't matter whether it actually is or not. If the A and R doesn't think it is, then that that's the barrier. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like. And I think maybe shifting the perspective because it's not, you know, if we say, you know, maybe this isn't ready or we give feedback, it's not a personal kind of, you know, this will never be a success or whatever. It's just, it's advice at the core of it. You know, we don't just say no in an email and send that back to somebody. You know, we give them reasons and potential other avenues to explore. So again, it's helping with that progression. It might seem like a door shut in the face, but it's actually opened like three other ones. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no sort of direct path to anything. That's right, that's right. When I was a kid, my dad told me, and this is obviously going to another generation than most of the age people you're dealing with, but <laughs> the first uh, Apollo mission to the moon, the NASA people were smart enough to know that they didn't really know what they were doing. And apparently it was off course 98% of the time. And they had to keep adjusting and keep looking at the things and adjust it because they really knew that they were gonna to try to get there, but if they had the math properly. Yeah. And they were smart enough to know that we don't really, and this was the top scientists of the day, right? They were smart enough to know we don't really know. And we have to watch what we're doing and we have to be aware of when we're off and adjust mm -hmm. things and adjust things. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I think like evaluating yourself all the time is. Yeah. You have to be harsh on yourself as well. Not not overly harsh. You know, like mm -hmm. it's good to reward yourself and and big yourself be up. Realistic so. about it. Yeah, realistic. That's probably a better word for it. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. I also think a lot of people these days maybe are too scared or nervous to ask for feedback. It's mm -hmm. a good thing is to say, you know, I've done this. What do you think? This isn't the finished product, but whatever. Like when I was, so I started off in freelance music journalism, I had a sort of mentor who was the, it was Eve Barlow, who's the deputy editor of NME. I didn't write for the NME at the time, but I would just, you know, send things through, send CVs through or whatever, and just say, you know, what do you think of this? Not as a kind of please praise me type thing, but asking for feedback is only going to help. That's right. And That's I right. think... And criticism is far more valuable than somebody just trying to be nice to you. Yeah, and that kind of level of transparency can be really good in helping progress someone's journey. You know, okay, this, this is good about this, but maybe that needs to be tweaked. Have you thought about this? Because, you know, the amount of ways that you would approach something that somebody else 
would look at completely differently. Yeah. And more viewpoints can only build on what you're doing. Yeah. Even, you know, with a song or with, you know, here's my Instagram, do you think I'm doing an okay job with what I'm posting? Things like that, like, people will say yes or no and give you feedback. Mm -hmm. And feedback is always, I think it's always a good thing because it's only going to push you in the right direction eventually. Mm. I think it's becoming harder and harder as well as you get more and more mass product rather than, you know, niche labels that really look after their, you know, five artists or whatever. Mm. Although they obviously still exist, but as people are looking at things more en masse to actually get honest feedback. Mm. You know, most tech companies, you couldn't get hold of a human being. And these people are... are you know, gatekeepers sometimes now to your opportunity. So I think if you're in a position where you're speaking to someone who has experience in that field and they're willing to give you advice, that that's something that you should really appreciate. Whether you take it fully on board or you take it on board, but then you go back and analyse and you decide for mm -hmm. yourself whether you agree or disagree. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't yeah, think anyone should be... who they are and where their perspective is coming from. Yeah, I mean, it's the same as when anyone's pitching music, they should, or pitching, you know, whatever it is, they should always be like, what is the person on the other end of this email or the other end of this phone call? What is it that they want? And how can I speak to them in a way that makes this look as attractive as possible? Not, this is what I've got, do you want it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, which is essentially the same for the music. Yeah, yeah. And we do get like a, you know, when we're getting, people send us stuff and, you know, I say, you know, maybe it's not quite right or have you thought about this, this, this and this. I'd say the majority of the responses I get back is thank you. It's nice that someone, you know, one, I can talk to a person and you've been honest with me. So then, you know, people have gone away and tweaked stuff mm -hmm. and come back with really great releases that we've actually gone on to promote. Or even saying, you know, somebody once sent a demo through and they were like, this is a very rough demo. But I was like, I don't think it needs anything else. Even that kind of thing. That's nice, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's a, that's a really ideal situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one everyone wants to be in. Yeah, because, you know, throwing everything at a wall and hoping something sticks isn't always the best process to go through. Sometimes less is more mm -hmm. in that sense. And for some people it does really work. You've got like a soft piano ballad or something and there's like a creak of a chair in it. Things like that really work. I'm thinking about it. it's like Is that the Miles track? Was that a demo? Miles Pascal, yeah. His single that he sent us um, was a demo. But I said, I think it's ready. And we went on to promote it across radio and streaming. And it got, you know, like 200 plus radio plays across the world. Right, right. And that's his first single as well, That's isn't his it? first ever solo single as a solo artist. I know somebody that has a great studio and they're working with an artist and they've been using a virtual piano and it sounds really nice, it's really top samples, mm. but he's gonna go into a studio with a real piano because he misses the creaking. <laughs> he misses the sound of the mechanics of the piano moving, yeah. and it's, it's it, too clean. It probably goes back to a little bit of authenticity, that, doesn't it? Because mm. it's humanizing the song, it's not perfect. It's perfectly imperfect. Kind mm -hmm. of yeah, and that kind of ties into his brand as a person. He's, you know, quite a tall guy who could be quite imposing, but actually his whole thing is that he's very gentle and everything is quite soft, so having those little... There's a few moments in the song where it's, you know, silence. And it just works because that's, you know, it's, it's the same as who he is as a person and it ties into that. 
That's yeah. space though. A lot of artists are very nervous about leaving that kind of space. They want to yeah. fill everything up and have everything. I think it was. Well, it'd probably be like t in terms of a live setup, that would probably be pretty daunting because in that moment you would know exactly what the crowd thought because you, you're not lost in the music. There's nothing mm. going on. I guess it's harder if you're thinking in terms of festivals, but I went to see Julian Baker at Shepherd's Bush Empire. Julian Baker. Baker. And it was that silent in the room. You could hear like her shoes just like creaking on the stage when she was moving her foot backwards and forwards and like every tap on her pedals. Because there's silent moments in the songs. And I think if you have the right brand like personally to go with that, it does work. But I reckon, you know, if you were like Kanye West, you had a song that was like 30 seconds of silence. That's when people would start yelling, you yeah, know, things yeah. like that. It doesn't yeah. always work. It depends on your audience yeah. and your attitude. I think if it's authentic, then people will always be able to see that and resonate with that. Yeah. You know, people were even too scared to sing along at that gig because they were like, it's just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we don't want to sing over her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. What do you think about people who want to get signed? Um, signed to a record label. Well, wow. this is the thing. Most people who I, you know, we go sort of what is your goal because again like success is different for everyone so that's generally a question we ask a lot when we're speaking to people because the advice is different depending on what that goal is the amount of times you hear um you know i want to get signed and yeah. that i don't know whether that means label or management i don't even know if they know if that means label or management or publishing or whatever yes. i think it used to mean a lot that was like the sign of success like you'd play a gig in London or somewhere and you'd invite like A&Rs from mm. everywhere down to your show and then maybe at the end you'd get given a contract and you'd sign it. But I think certainly since I started really looking at the music business side of things when I was sort of wanting to get into that as a teenager, bands were starting their own labels, you know, like Los Campesinos started a label. I think they were one of the first bands that I saw that had started their label. Mm -hmm. Or people start collectives like Foles and they just lived in a house with other bands and stuff and all supported each other. I think getting signed these days is less common because people tend to just put releases out independently and there's not really the barriers and costs that there used to be. You know, as long as you can get a distributor for your song to release it and you're registered sort of, you know, with PRS or PPL or whatever, you don't really need a label behind you because there's other ways of approaching things mm -hmm. and things like coming to a, like a music gateway and getting a campaign for a single or a few singles through us. It's almost like having a manager and a label behind you because you've got that experience and the contacts and everything like that, but you keep all your rights. All this kind yeah. of thing. There's so many benefits to doing it a different way these days because the landscape has changed quite a lot. And yeah. I think the first thing for me is if, if someone's sort of sitting there and being like, I really want to get signed, I would just ask why first. Like, what, what is it about being signed that you that makes you feel like that mm. is something you want? So I think more often than not, people don't really know why and they just think that it is the next step for success. It's a, it's a mark of success. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, you know, having label support or management support or, you know, a publishing company, there's so many benefits to that. But benefits in the same way as, you know, is it the right time for that step in the process? Mm -hmm. Or do you really want to relinquish control of your rights and who do you want to relinquish that control to? I think sometimes particularly with getting signed, if it's like, well, why and who to? And people are like, you know, what do you mean who to? And it's like, well, they need to match your brand. 
they need to have connections and support in the areas that you really need those networks and those supports. You know, it goes back to the same as the producers. You know, if you're a rock band, you want to go to a rock label. And really, like, you should aspire to be signed to a specific label or a couple of different types of labels rather than just... First. Yeah, like, in the same way that you want people to invest in your brand and, and your authenticity as a product, you should want the same from anyone that you're working with. So, you know, is there any labels you're really passionate about? Is anyone... Has anyone been able to do with an artist, uh, you know, the story that you would like as your success? Because that's what you should be looking into. Mm -hmm. If you're going to give away control of your music and rights of your music, who are you giving that control to and why are you giving it to them? So, you know, if you're someone, you know, if we went back to kind of like Discovery being the authentic story that you're bringing, is there a label that specialises in almost like teenage pop or whatever it is that have really sort of elevated people's careers, maybe they've influenced the marketing and stuff yeah. as well? Their contacts, they have the right contacts, they have the right avenues to yeah. introduce your music. Yeah, I mean, fortunately for most people, any you know decent music company isn't going to sign someone that doesn't make sense for their brand, so they won't fall into that trap. We're going to have to pause the conversation there as that brings us to the end of the first of two episodes titled The Independent Checklist with Sophie Small and Rachel Scarsbrook. My name is Lionel Lodge and I thank you for joining us and please tune in for the next episode. The music for this episode is by the Lex Records artist Gilla. You can find more information on Gilla at lexrecords.com. The theme music for Exploring Music Podcasts is played by Joe Sherrill on bass and Peter Meyerhofer on handpan. The conversation in this episode was recorded at The Joint, the Central London Rehearsal Studios. You can get more information at thejoint.org.uk. For more information on Sync Lodge, the Sync Licensing Project Management System, please go to synclodge.com.